The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks your climate-focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, relieved on day of recording that Hurricane Lee bypassed my coastal residing sister in Maine, though it did bring high-sustained winds to her area and obviously pounded down East Maine and the Canadian provinces. November 1st, the official end of hurricane season cannot get here fast enough. Listeners, today's guest is John Marshall, the founder of the Potential Energy Coalition, an organization attempting attempting to get the marketing right when it comes to climate. With a long history of working in marketing, John now puts his decades of experience to use figuring out which climate messages resonate with different groups of people. And of course, he's done some work on conservatives and conservative messaging. So stay tuned, listeners, for my conversation with John Marshall coming up next. This is Chelsea Henderson, host of the Eco Right Speaks, here with some exciting news. Registration for the seventh annual National Clean Energy Week is officially open. Tune in September 26th through the 28th for the Policymakers Symposium to hear from policy experts, industry leaders, and lawmakers on how we can work together to chart a clean energy future. Don't miss your chance to be part of the national conversation. Register for the Policymakers Symposium for free at www.ncew2023.org. That's www.nationalcleanenergyweeknceu2023.org. Hope to see you there. Welcome back, listeners. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show John Marshall from the Potential Energy Coalition. John, thanks for being on the show. It's nice to be with you, Chelsea. So tell our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Potential Energy Coalition what y'all do there. We are a new firm, a nonpartisan um, firm that's hatched out of a bunch of business people um, uh, to basically bring the the discipline of marketing and communications from the corporate sector into climate change and clean energy. So I had a 35-year career in management consulting and as a marketing executive and also a side job as a as a professor of marketing and then one day my 17 year old actually locked me in the house and said dad <laughs> do something about climate and so we we uh, we decided to 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 hatch a new business basically that is trying to be essentially earth's marketing firm like a way to to bring the discipline of of business people into climate marketing and primarily to try and depoliticize and make it, you know, grow the size of, of climate support. So we've, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to get, how to get new people into climate beyond the, the folks who are already there. So those 17 year olds can be quite persuasive. Our executive director, Bob Inglis likes to tell the story about how, when he was in Congress, his first iteration in Congress, he was among those who said climate change wasn't real. In his own words, he says he used to think that Al Gore was for it, so he was against it. Right. And then his um, son had just turned 18 and was voting for the first time. I heard the story. You've so heard this. Story. Yes. Yeah. Like, 
You got my vote, but you got to clean up your act. I love it. I love how these, our kids just. (laughs) There are times when I thank them for it. And there are times they're like, curse you. This is a lot harder to sell than, than, than soda or, or retail stores, but. Right. But probably more fulfilling too. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And a a hard, a hard problem. But um, I think, you know, the, the, the thing that makes marketing successful is really understanding people and having empathy for lots of different people. And I think that if we're successful in getting the 8 billion of us to care more about climate, it's going to be because we listened and, you know, we observed and we watched and we heard and we tried to identify with what people care about. It's it's hard to, it's hard to yell and sell. And I think there's been a fair amount of that. So we're, we're trying to listen in order to figure out how to connect with people. Well, and that empathy factor is really important. And I hadn't really thought of it that way. You know, one thing that we often say, um, you know, and joke about is just it's so easy for the opponents to to take something like back in the day when I was on the Hill, we were talking about a cap and trade approach to climate change. And then the other side took it and called it cap and tax. And, you know, that was like a denigrating and it was a quippy and denigrating. And then we had to spend five minutes to explain why it wasn't cap and tax. And then you've lost the audience. And so it's harder on the marketing side, I think, to market your policy mechanisms when they're long and complicated. But I like what you're saying about listening to people and and kind of meeting them where they are, I think, is also part of the the equation. Well, you hit um, we talk a little bit more about how to get different people to to think differently and care more about it. But you hit on the most important one of all, quite honestly, which is um, always, always my first lesson, which is don't listen to people in the climate sector because nobody, nobody wakes up in the morning saying what a great day for some decarbonization. And that we're just, we're really stuck with the decarbonizations and the net zeros and the GHGs and the, (laughs) you know, the average person on the planet thinks the UN's uh, goal is for temperature increase. What? Four four degrees. (laughs) Now, the Germans are more accurate than anyone else. They're like, they're under three on average, but uh, and only 25% of the people on the planet know that it's either one and a half degrees or two degrees. So no one's listening to the, to the, um, to the climate bubble. It's not connecting. Um, so like lesson one is like, how do we, how do we actually talk in terms that um, make sense that people talk about on, a, on, a, on an everyday basis? Right. Well, I was just going to ask you that. How do, what do we say? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so it's funny because you, all these debates exist like, oh, should you be, should you sell fear? Should you be negative? Should No, you shouldn't. You should be optimistic. You should sell, oh, there's all these, all these people have different points of view. I have, I have the benefit of having amassed a massive amount of data on this. We, um, we've served and measured about 3 billion ads. So we're like, we're actually serving all of these impressions and, and then seeing who's clicking, who's changing their opinion. We have this big, big scale surveys that we're running. We've, we've done what the academics call randomized controlled trials. So they're, they're kind of like how you do a drug test where you expose some people to some content and then other people don't see content and then you see the difference in how they think. So we've done about 500 of those. So we have a we have gobs and gobs of data and we have, so you can you can ask me about a particular segment and I can say, well, this worked for them, but this didn't work for them. Um, well, let's talk about conservatives. Yeah, I think, you know, the challenge, the, the biggest challenge with climate change is that it doesn't have the right messengers because the first thing you need is trusted messengers and leaving aside America's situation, like throughout the globe, the messengers are all politicians and that's not super helpful because they're the least trusted messengers and Bob, 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 Bob accepted. (laughs) But, and so 
you know, solving the messenger problem is really important. And, you know, we've studied this a lot. You know, we find actually for some audiences, scientists actually are quite helpful. We have this group of moms who are scientists, which who really do work because. Oh, mm-hmm. is that the client science? Cli- science moms. Yeah. Cli- science yeah. Moms. Yeah. Science moms. That's it. We've had science moms on the show. Oh, did you really? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, we, um, that's something that we, um, we worked on uh, building. So, so the farmers and the fishermen and the, you know, people who actually are trusted messengers in the community and then cultural messengers mm-hmm. are really important. I think this, the second thing on conservatives is there are a number of conservative principles that are actually very consistent with advancing environmental uh, progress. The challenge has been, it feels like an agenda, right? And so, I mean, I, my, my content that, that does not, does not at all feel political is three times as productive as when it feels like it's got a hint of an agenda. And one one of the things that I often say is that, and it feels like there's like, okay, well, what's the catch? There's some other things packaged in here. What am I signing up to? Am I signing up to a different agenda than I believe in? And I have this thing about what I call climate as an adjective. Because first of all, climate's actually not an adjective. Um, but the agenda of climate change, the climate agenda, the climate action, the climate, the climate this, the climate that, really has a feeling of more of a progressive agenda. And so interesting, if you if you have a message that talks about the changing climate as opposed to climate change, that for conservatives, that message performs a lot better because conservatives believe that we should address the changing climate. They're not necessarily always wanting to sign up for all aspects of a progressive climate agenda because that may have some things in it that they don't believe. Um, and so I think the verbiage ends up being really important. The good news is there's a bunch of core pre- precepts you know, in the conservative mindset like conservation and preservation and sanctity and a whole bunch of concepts that actually fit really well with climate messaging. I think when it feels like limitation, when it feels like a political agenda, we have a phrase, limitation always loses. I've never had a successful test of anything which has a banner mandate. <laughs> and so- I mean, just look at like, I mean, and even the the threat or the hint of it. So uh, I feel like last year, two years ago, maybe it was um, Congress or these climate activists, they want to take away your cheeseburgers, right? And yes, I mean, I have a friend who is uber vegan. She's also very judgy about it. If you're not, I am not. I choose very carefully what I'm going to eat in front of her because even though I am on the team, right, I don't need the lecture. I find it off-putting. And then more recently, this idea or the um, incentives that were included in the Inflation Reduction Act to convert your um, gas range to electric became, you know, it's an incentive. It's voluntary. I did it. Um, much to my, uh, you know, I was dragging my heels the whole way because I love a sear on a steak on a, you know, gas fired range, but I made that conversion to convection, uh, or induction, sorry. And yet we see all this, you know, this amendment to, um, ban Congress from banning your gas stoves or, you know, that's what the rhetoric became, right? Like the big government is trying to take away your gas stoves. There was nothing in the Inflation Reduction Act that suggested that, but that became the spin and that limitation, right? We're trying to prevent somebody from doing something. Well, it's going to happen. I can because they're going to be they're going to be folks on different sides of the debate that that are good at framing and from multiple different angles. Um, but I I'd like to think that the way to win this is to sell upgrades because and, and you know and, and to sell innovation, right? And so you can think about 
you can think about heat pumps and gas stoves as, as a ban or, or mandate or limitation, but you can also think about it as progress and an upgrade and innovation and efficiency. And the cars are a good example of that. And the, you know, the cars will probably lead on this, but I have one and they're really, they accelerate really well and, and they're very quiet. Uh, and I've never, I haven't had to pull into a gas station for a long, long time. And so just the concept of innovation is, is helping us upgrade is different than we need to sacrifice. So sacrifice framing is, like it doesn't help anybody. Um, we just did a big global study, fifty-six thousand size survey, on um, on what kind of narratives work really well. And I think historically, the environmental groups, the reuse, reduce, recycle vibe has been a part of life, but that's not a majority narrative at all. Like people are excited to renew rather than rather than reduce, and they want to upgrade. And th- that's that leads into I think some very good business narratives about the opportunities to upgrade and new products and, you know, jobs, climate change, creating jobs, isn't a super great narrative because people don't necessarily believe it, but the notion that there's a leadership position in this, there's a, um, there's a set of innovations that are happening does, does sell pretty well. We're energy optimists and climate realists. Stand with us at republicen.org. Now back to this week's episode. I was going to say I'm sensitive to what people who disagree with the jobs creation messaging believe, because maybe you like the job you have, or it does link a little bit more to the politics, right? You said this is a very politicized issue and jobs are politicized, right? Like you get the jobs report from the the federal government's jobs report that comes out um, regularly. And so I think people have linked their ability the economy's ability to employ people to government policies. And so, yes, when somebody's saying we're going to create jobs, it does more, um, more politicize the issue. Well, I have, I have gobs of data on this and you're absolutely right. I mean, the issue with all of this is trust, right? And so a, a job promise is typically a promise that gets made in the political sphere, you know, in my first point. And it's just, people just don't believe it. They think they're going to lose their job, but they don't think they're going to gain one. Mm-hmm. And so it's helpful. Like we're at, gets effective where everything gets effective is local so probably my big my biggest communications lesson of all is despite the fact that we called it global warming it actually the, the thing that actually works is local and so it does like if there's a battery plant opening up in in michigan that gets a ton of support and people are excited about that because they see it and they feel it but m- macro promises of there's a lot of smart people in climate change and they figured out those economic booms and international competitiveness and all that kind of stuff regular people don't don't talk that way. They talk about what's happening in their community and their lives on a daily basis. So if it's not local, some global concept, it typically doesn't sell very well. So, so you can do growth and prosperity like in your county, uh, but you can't do it in your country. Yeah. And even when you're talking, you know, I, I've seen a lot of rhetoric recently about China, right? And And we say this because it is popular with conservatives that you know, right now, China, you know, they are heavier polluters than we are, and their products are embedded with carbon, more, imbe- you know, more in carbon intensive than our products. And there's no carbon border adjustment. So we're basically bringing these products in. It's like increasing our own pollution. But I've already lost my audience just in saying that little bit that I did to you, because it's all very complicated and involves trade. But there is a little bit of we're better than China and we shouldn't let dirty, you know, bad actors bring their uh, products into our borders without some sort of pain, some sort of um, fee or penalty. But that, again, it gets very, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to say in an elevator pitch, right? 
Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, the idea of polluters should pay for their pollution for conservatives, they think China. And so that actually it's a it's a relatively simple narrative. But I think yeah. local pride has turned out to be something excited about about clean energy. They're they they care more about, um, you know, about clean energy in Pennsylvania necessarily than they do. But, you know, about a global a global warming you know, solution that converts the world to clean energy or clean energy in Harrisburg and that. And they actually get excited about the fact that they're making progress and they, you know, schools and communities and churches and, you know, um, pride in local leadership actually really does resonate well with conservatives. Well, that's really good to know. I, I feel that just, you know, in my own town that I live in, it's way more fun and fulfilling to engage at the local level across the board, right? The politics, the, the sense of community, the environmental projects that we do, because they're very tangible results. You can see when you've done a river cleanup or a park cleanup, or you've done some sort of restoration project, you can walk it, you can see it. And it, to me, it, it, it does give you a sense of connection that you might not get if you're like, we're like, yay, we solved global warming. Like there's no way to see that. Right. hundred percent. Totally right. The other, the other thing, that I hadn't mentioned the first thing I did when I started the firm, that was, it was the moment in time when everyone was like, we shouldn't call it climate change. We should call it climate crisis. Remember mm-hmm. that I think that was about three or four years ago. And so I went out and did a test. Said, That's interesting. Like when I'm in the communications business, so this first thing I'll do, I'll do an AB test, which is like compared to things and see what the, what the impact was. And climate crisis is pretty useful for the 20% of people who already care about it to get them slightly more animated but not that useful for the 80% of people who don't feel a crisis in their day-to-day life. And so I, I've definitely learned, because our mission is to grow the size of the of the climate sector, I've definitely learned that we need to show, not yell, and that that the alarm alarmism is, is a tricky sell. Uh, and we get, like in our focus groups, we hear a lot about that seems exaggerated. So we, we, we created a piece of content called One Emergency, which took all these emergencies, like, you know, weather emergencies and package them all together. And at the end, it said, it's all one emergency climate change, which did like super well with progressives and totally backlashed with Republicans. They're like, yeah, that's the way you see it. But I think some of these governors are declaring a state of emergency because they want to get more federal funds. So they're pretty kind of savvy to the whole thing. And so we've been, we're, we've gotten very sensitive to the exaggerate risk. On the other hand, in, over the long term, it's a pretty big deal. So how do you walk the line between feeling alarmist? And I think we've we've kind of ended up with um, vivid demonstrations of real change where people can connect the dots themselves rather than us rather than us kind of ringing the Paul Revere bell. So an example of that is show a picture of Lake Mead three years ago, show a picture of Lake Mead now. People will connect the dots, right? Like yeah. There's no water in there anymore. Um, yeah. and nature is providing us with a lot of evidence, so we don't necessarily need to yell crisis because the the signs the signs are that it's not normal. So like we're, we're really into showcasing the abnormal as opposed to yelling alarm. So I'm, I'm t- the takeaways I'm getting from you as we wrap up are don't yell, which we know we very much have heard everything you said about alarmism, uh, local pride for sure. And, um, oh, I lost my last one. I love this vivid demonstration of real change. I think yeah. you're right when people can see, and we hear this all the time. I used to ice fish with my, you know, 
uncle in the winters and now the lake doesn't freeze or um you know you see a beloved place that that your family yeah. has vacationed and it's different now even somebody i was talking to the other day in boot camp was who i know we have not had the discussion but i know that he does not think climate change is real and he start was talking about how as a kid in pennsylvania he used to get so much snow growing up and now it doesn't really snow where his folks still live and uh, yeah and i think we talked about abundance not bans being being super important upgrades not bans but I'll, I'll add one more if we have time yeah because we, we do all these we do all these tests where we're just like we'll we'll swap an image out. So we had a we had a narrative about carbon tax. When you can call it lots of different things like a fee or a fine or a penalty or that kind of stuff. It's still still a little bit hard to sell. We had we had two images in the background. One was like a raging uh, hurricane, like ripping down trees, blowing through the town, and it's like we need a carbon tax. And then the other one was a smokestack, and the smokestack performed like dramatically better. And the pollution concept is something that Republicans have a real problem with. They do not like pollution. And so we all agree that pollution is not, not a good thing. And so framing it as a fight against pollution is a really productive way to do this. And in fact, we've seen more lift on pollution content with conservatives than we have with progressives, because I think there's, there's something in the value side about conservation. And, and so that's, I've, I don't really like to fight climate change i like to fight the pollution that's causing climate change yeah and there's a lot of tools and techniques that we can use to go ahead and do that well i love what you're doing this is a really fascinating we haven't had a climate marketer on the show before and i am so happy to have been connected with you and glad that i could bring your your expertise to our listeners if anyone wanted to read more about what you do where can they find you they can go to potentialenergycoalition.org and we have a whole series of our thought leadership on the website. And, and four weeks ago, we had one about, can you say climate change to conservatives? And that's a, that's a, that's a good place to start. Great. And I will link that in the show notes to listeners. John, thank you so much for your time and all you do. I look forward to future conversations. Great to be with you, Chelsea. Thanks for your time. Hi, I'm Chelsea Henderson, host of the Eco Right Speaks podcast. In a world where conservative voices rarely meet environmental discussions, Green Tea Party Radio is a breath of fresh air. With your hosts, Hannah, Zach, and Katie, get ready for insightful dialogues that break the mold. As conservatives, we're passionate about the environment, the free market, and our faith. But finding our place in this conversation isn't always easy, and that's why we're here. Join us every week as we explore how conservative values intersect with tackling climate change, promoting energy independence, and creating new clean energy sector jobs. Green Tea Party Radio is more than a show. It's a movement that connects young American conservatives aged 16 to 25. We're not just discussing problems, we're providing solutions. So if you're tired of the same old narrative, it's time to embrace something different. Pour the tea, ignite the conversation, and join us on a journey of discovery and action. Don't miss Green Tea Party Radio, coming soon to a college radio station near you. Or subscribe to the Green Tea Party Radio podcast. Check out the Green Tea Party Radio Patreon group for early access, special content, merch, and more. Visit greenteapartyradio.com. Together, let's reshape the future. Woohoo! So, Price, it is apparently it's climate week in New York. This one sort of uh, came up on me. I my first thought was, well, next year when my book is about to come or will have just come out, I definitely have to be at climate week. But we're not there in person. We're there in spirit with all of those who are working across industries and spectrums and 
um, ideologies to try to um, solve climate change. So in the theme of this week's episode of, you know, marketing, you know, do you think I can be your climate book marketer this time next year that I can be like your personal? I know you'll have a publishing company that does a lot of that stuff. But do you think I can be like your personal marketing aide slash dude slash roadie? Like 100%. I definitely, uh, I'm going to be tapping in all my friends with comms experience um, because I need everything I can get, but I've never had a better like um, uh, ego booster than you price. So, well, we're going to make this, I mean, we're going all out full blown climate media blitz. We're going to (laughs) make this thing shoot to the top of the New York Times bestseller list. We're going to take New York City by storm. Chelsea Henderson is going to take the world by storm with your new book. So I'm, you just got me excited this morning a little bit. Okay. So well, let's... I mean, we digress because really <clears throat> the episode today was about a climate um, marketing executive, mm-hmm. um, John Marshall, which I have to say, I even though that's kind of what we do, right? We are trying to find the right words to market climate solutions with conservatives Thinking mm-hmm. about somebody who was a long-term marketing executive, just kind of switching up his career because his kid yep. wanted him to, to do that for climate change, to have climate change as the client. I don't know. It really struck me. And I'm super grateful to our friend and supporter, Ed Maybach. This was another Ed uh, recommendation. So Thank you, Ed. Yeah, the work John is doing, and it was reminiscent of Bob's origin story, right? With uh, Robert telling him he wouldn't vote for him. He would vote for him, but he had to clean up his act on the environment. Sort of the same thing with John's son saying, hey, dad, you got to take your skills and put them to work. And so I think we're really lucky. And it's great that somebody, you know, he's not just sometimes we preach to the choir, right? Mm -hmm. He's not just finding the words to continue to preach within that echo chamber. He's like, how do we reach new constituencies and what messages are important with them? Because that's what we need. We need the fence sitters. We need the non-believers to come to our side and that takes work. And that's the work we try to do with this podcast. That's the work we try to do at republician.org and very glad to have John Marshall in that, um, on that team with us. Yeah, absolutely. Really parallel, like you said, and he, you know, talked about his personal story, which is very similar to Bob's. And then, you know, a lot like our good friend Ed Maybach at, at George Mason University with the suggestion, you know, he's, you know, big on the messenger, you know, with his data and in the surveys and the, you know, the information that they compile a lot like John. So a lot of parallels that John fit right into this lane this week to talk about climate and you know it's just interesting because you hit on it hit something hit on something real quick uh you know obviously i'm on the events programming side uh you know so i'm constantly trying to talk to different people who reach out you know some people that don't know what we do but they have an idea but you know i always have to stress and, and let them know look our goal the people we need to reach like you hit on our conservatives because they're the ones that we've got to convert right they're the ones that need to hear the gospel they're the ones that aren't with us now, but they're the ones that we need to get with us and bring to the table. Because like Bob already says, the left has taken this as far as they can. It's up to us on the political right to get with it. And so that is why, folks, our listeners out there, if you wonder why we always, and, and you know, we, we've hit on it before, but you know, that is the name of the game for us is to find an audience of doubters, so to speak. And that typically is on 
the center right. And those are the ones that we've got to convert. So it's awesome to hear the the message and the work that John is doing. Another lane in this, you know, whole climate world where we're trying to solve the problem. And so it takes an army to do this, especially when it's a worldwide problem. But I digress, Chelsea. I want to shout out real quick some new members who are standing with us. Speaking of uh, needing you, Beverly L. in North Carolina, Sean R. in Louisiana, Mike B. in Iowa, and then Tom D. and Mark P. in Florida. Appreciate uh, everybody standing with us, which you can do if you have not done so, republican.org forward slash join. We say it every week. It takes mere seconds, but we do need you. We do. And we're so grateful every time I get the, we get this um, reminder email from Angela Lark, our engagement director, um, telling us who some of the, you know, she just picks a cross section of new members for us to announce. It's not the whole universe of what we get every week, but it's just nice to see, right? It's nice to know there are people out there that made that conscious decision to join us. And now I'm sending like an NPR pledge Mm -hmm. week. (laughs) But uh, anyway, Price, I'm really excited for next week's guests. There are going to be two of them. Okay. Um, So this, (laughs) wow, this is another Ed. Ed is like, my <laughs> he's my supplier. Ed, you're coming in hot. He's like my dealer for for guests this season. Um, Ethan Sims and Amanda Planchet are both Idaho physicians. Well, I think Ethan is a physician and Amanda is a PA okay. who are going to be on the show to talk about the direct impacts that climate change has on our health. <laughs> they also, or at least I know Ethan is. Um, very much an outdoor enthusiast in Idaho. So he can also make some of those connections to um, the outdoors. So mm-hmm. very much looking forward to, or uh, maybe I'm also a little scared <laughs> to hear what they're going to share. That definitely sounds like that's up Edwards uh, alley right there when it comes to public health and the uh, messengers in the work that are, you know, that are around that, uh, you know, that end of the climate sphere. So excited to have them with us next week, Chelsea. And real quick, uh, you mentioned Angela, who gives us, uh, you know, some that valuable email every week with uh, new members just want to Shout out one of our team members for all the hard work that she does on the digital side and keeps things moving on our social media platforms, which you can follow at republicen.org. And to say, Angela, we hope you're feeling better because, you know, you've been uh, down and out and just haven't been feeling great lately. So hope uh, hope you get to feeling much better uh, this week, Angela. Yes, our thoughts are always uh, first and foremost with our team who is like our family. So, um, Angela, get well soon. And uh, Price. <clears throat> I think that we should let these nice people get back to their day and hope that they return to us next week to hear our Climate Physicians episode. No doubt about it. New episodes coming to you every Tuesday, Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever it is that you get your favorite podcast, that is where you can get us. The Eco Right Speaks are also online at republican.org forward slash podcast. Until next week, Chelsea Anderson. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. We'll do it again then. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader. 